You are listening to the Steadfast Life Podcast from Jake and Witt over at Steadfast Life Coaching. This is where you'll hear stories, insights, interviews, and observations that will inspire and equip you to take your health, wealth, and relationships from here to elite. Whether it's overcoming struggles, our foundational relationship with Jesus Christ, the lessons we've learned from competing in sports, or the perspective that only comes from pushing your body and mind to the edge to climb 14,000 foot peaks, these opportunities have given us a unique perspective on mindset that we are excited to share with you right now. Hello, my growth-minded friends, and welcome to the podcast. This is sort of a re-edit of a former podcast that just seems to be appropriate for the time that we're in right now. On the podcast today, we're going to talk about forgiveness And so I just want you to think for a minute before we dive in about other people and other people doing it wrong and how often it seems to be the case that we're looking out at other people and they're just doing it wrong and we feel offended and our offense feels so justified because I could show you that if you would only do this It would make this part go better. And that when you say this, it makes me feel this way. And do you not see the way that you're belittling these people when you do things this way? Or that you are taking advantage of or not valuing the lives of these people when you don't follow these rules? And and all of these pieces just come into place where I, I just, I need people to do things differently. Unfortunately, what I'm doing in that case is I'm taking all of my authority over my experience of my life and I'm giving it to them. I'm taking all of my happiness, all of my joy, all of my peace, all of my access to these things and I'm handing it over to somebody else and I'm saying, here you go. Here's my happiness. Here's my joy. Here's my peace. Now, now handle it with care. Do things right. Do things the way that I want you to do them so that I can have it back. When we realize that's not a great strategy, that's where we start looking into how do I undo this offended feeling that I have inside of me? How do I deal with the offense that I'm experiencing? And that's where forgiveness comes in. A mentor of Whitney and mine taught us that when you can't look someone in the eye, there's a good chance you need to forgive them. Oh no, not a chance. They do not deserve my forgiveness. They've got to earn it first. But she explained when you hold on to unforgiveness, it's like asking a person with no money to pay back a debt. You're banking your happiness on them balancing a scale that they have no ability to balance. The only way to get your happiness back is to willingly cancel their debt. Oh man, is that even possible? Well, I was wondering. So I googled stories of forgiveness to strengthen my case on this one. And in all honesty, I recommend you do the same. It didn't take long for me to get some emotion in my eye as I was reading the various stories of forgiveness. The one I chose to recount is from today.com. Early one morning in Dakola, Georgia, Matt Swazell was driving home from a 24-hour shift as a firefighter and EMS and had only 30 minutes of sleep. 
He was less than four miles from his home on October 2nd, 2006, when he suddenly heard what he calls the most god-awful sound I've ever heard. Swazel, then 20, realized he had fallen asleep at the wheel and crashed. When he got out of the car, he saw the car of 30-year-old June Fitzgerald. She was pregnant and with her 19-month-old daughter, Faith. Faith survived the crash, but her mother and unborn sibling passed away. June's husband, Eric Fitzgerald, a full-time pastor, grieved the loss of his wife and child with close family and friends, including young people from his student ministry. One young girl told him she couldn't help but think of how the driver of the car was feeling. He told her she was right and that they should all pray for him. It was his opportunity to practice the forgiveness he had preached so many times before. You forgive as you've been forgiven, said Fitzgerald, referencing a Bible verse. It wasn't an option. If you've been forgiven, then you need to extend that forgiveness. To start, Fitzgerald extended his forgiveness at Swazel's sentencing. As a county officer, he was facing a felony and harsh time, but Fitzgerald pleaded for a lesser sentence. He said, I didn't see why this accident and tragedy needed to ruin any more lives. Swazel ended up paying a fine and he did some community service. Swazel expected hate from Fitzgerald, but he was surprised by receiving so much love. Fitzgerald's forgiveness has created a friendship now 10 years strong. The men stay connected by meeting at least once every two weeks, attending church together and eating meals at the Waffle House and other restaurants, just the two of them. It's pretty impressive, really, when I look at this story from just a choice versus result perspective. Fitzgerald had a choice to hold on to anger for the loss of his wife and unborn daughter, which would result in resentment and sadness, depression and all those things, anger that come along with a choice like that. Or he had the choice to practice reckless forgiveness, to forgive beyond what anyone deserved. And as a result, he ended up with a 10 years and counting friendship and someone who he could mentor, be an example to and all those good things that happen. Plus the pretty good food at the Waffle House. Now, there's a lot in between there. Does he deserve it? Could you get past that anger? What if you wanted to hold on to that anger? And that's what we kind of want to dive into in this podcast is this, this choice that you're making between holding on to this and why you might hold on to it versus what's available to you if you let it go. And I'm going to state right up front that I'm going to tell you my experience with dealing with that question. I'm no expert in psychology or anything, but I do live a life without resentment. I refuse to let someone else's actions steal my joy. So when I'm feeling offended, hurt, or wronged, I immediately go to work on my thoughts. One man who has guided me as a coach in this area is Dr. Lee Bauckham. Here are some of his thoughts on forgiveness. When we forgive another person, we release our hearts from the chronic inner torment of hurt and resentment that have been weighing us down since the incident occurred. When we choose to forgive, we are actually freeing ourselves from the prison of our own resentment. It's not releasing the other person from their actions. It's releasing ourselves from their actions. Forgiveness is about choosing to let go of the impact of an event. 
It's offering yourself the opportunity to regain the energy that's wasted when you hold on to hurts or slights or pains from the past. It's not about pretending something didn't happen. It's not about pretending there was no pain. It's not about pretending there aren't times when people are cruel on purpose. It is about letting go of that impact on us. So after reflecting on the guidance that he's given me during our coaching relationship, I took a little time to reflect on how I forgive, how I go about doing it, and I came up with six steps. Step one is to see the offender as human. We're all flawed. We all mess up. And there are times I've hurt others. But I tend to categorize that as the exception to my character and not the rule. I would say I'm generally a good guy who occasionally makes mistakes. When I look at someone else who's hurt me, on default, I have a tendency to see them as someone who's inherently flawed, not as someone who's mostly good who made a mistake. And so what I try to do is undo that story. I can try to offer the same categorizing methods to the offender. And this helps me distance myself from the story I tell myself about the event and the person that's currently holding me captive. Step two, I decide that I want to be free and I commit to taking the slow journey to get there. This is not an action. And it is by no means some sort of indication that forgiveness has taken place at this point. It's simply accepting the truth that my unforgiveness is only hurting me. It's not causing the other person to suffer. It's not holding them accountable. It's not teaching them a lesson. It's not making them pay. I have to admit that I was wrong in my thinking that my resentment would cause these things and realizing that by refusing to forgive, I'm actually teaming up with the offender and together we are hurting me again and again. That's a tough pill to swallow. And that's why simply swallowing that pill gets its own step. Plus, I love checking things off my list, so I like to put a lot of steps. Step three, I feel the feelings I don't like to feel. I don't resist them. I don't analyze them. I don't try to process them. I just feel them. I take some deep, slow breaths, and I think about what specifically is going on in my body. Maybe my ears get hot. Maybe I get a pit in my stomach. Is the pit up by my ribs or is it lower down in my gut? Maybe my heart beats fast. Maybe I find that I'm clenching my jaw or my fist. I find that my forehead is wrinkled. Uh, maybe I'm feeling drained of energy. Whatever it is, I just feel it and I notice it. And this is powerful because at the end of the day, this is what I'm spending all of my energy avoiding. This is what the offense is actually doing to me. My thoughts about whatever happened are causing me to feel a negative emotion. It's causing stuff to happen in my body. And if I'm strong enough to actually feel it, then I've stood up to the biggest blow it can deliver. It totally reminds me of getting bit by the snake. I don't know how to explain it, but I like to find snakes and I like to catch snakes. And when I was starting off on this journey, one of the things I did is Google what does it feel like to be bit by a snake? 
Now, I'm not talking about a rattlesnake or a water moccasin or something that's going to put you in the hospital. I'm just talking about a normal everyday snake. What does it feel like to get bit by this thing? Because I'll tell you, it looks really scary when they're all coiled up, ready to strike. And so I wanted to know, what is it that I'm going to have to go through? What is the strongest blow it can deliver? And so I started going out and letting snakes bite me. And I found out it's really not that big of a deal. That This thing that people are so scared of, that I was so scared of, that appears so intimidating, I'm actually by far strong enough to handle it. And then I could move forward with my choices from there. It's the same with this feeling. The offense that has been inflicted on you, the harm that's been done to you, whatever has happened, it's causing a feeling in you. And your ability to feel that feeling is all you need to be able to get past it. Your brain's going to tell you you're going to die from feeling this feeling, but you're not. You're tougher than you think. It is important to remember, though, That it's not that you just do this once and the feeling never comes back. There's a good chance the feelings will be triggered again. It's just being intentional about the relationship you're going to have with these feelings. If you'll allow me to stick with my analogy, I still get bit by snakes. But I promise it's way better than living life in fear that I might get bit. Step four, I choose what that pain means. Whatever I'm feeling, whatever discomfort I'm having to go through, whatever it's doing inside of my body, I get to decide what it means. In the podcast story time, we did a series of of four podcasts. And in podcast number four, the fourth one in the series, I talked about the impact that Theodore Roosevelt's Man in the Arena quote has had in my life and that I like to simplify my life experience down to one question. Do I choose to be in the arena or out of the arena? Being in the arena has a price. And when I remind myself of that, it changes what I make it mean to pay that price when it comes due. Discomfort is the currency for growth. I just borrowed that phrase from Brooke Castillo, but she's cool with it. All the things I want to accomplish in my life require me living in the arena. And it means I will experience discomfort. I will experience pain. I will get hurt, let down, betrayed, attacked. And from that, I will receive the benefit of life in the arena. I will learn. The offense I'm working toward forgiving may have taught me empathy. Maybe it taught me discernment or the value of maintaining solid boundaries. Maybe it taught me to lean on the Lord a little bit more, to trust him more than myself or to reevaluate the story I tell myself, or possibly it teaches me that I am actually tougher than I thought. Now, this is not about pretending there is no pain. It's about distancing myself enough to see the value in my struggle. I'm not trying to be grateful for the pain. I'm choosing to be grateful for the lesson. In step five, I take responsibility. Did you just bail on me? Hold on, hang with me for a minute. Remember from back in the emotional adulthood series we did in this podcast that responsibility is not blame. Responsibility is your ability to respond. Responsibility is being willing to acknowledge your own role in your suffering in order to take your power back. It's observing the places where you may have let go of the wheel that determines your life experience so that you can be intentional about grabbing it again. In my case, 
This is usually an awareness that I was getting feelings or intuitions, whatever you want to call it, that something was off and I was ignoring them. When I reflect on my responsibility, I find that maybe I had an inclination that Whitney was not happy, but I pushed it aside. My gut said, maybe this friend isn't a good fit for me, but I ignored it. It's actually kind of ironic. My resistance to taking responsibility is this sort of chest puffed out conviction that I'm not going to sit here and let people walk all over me by blaming myself. But when I do truly ask myself where I can take responsibility for the hurt I'm feeling, I have the enlightening experience of discovering that I had been letting someone walk all over me. I wasn't speaking up. I wasn't honoring my feelings or my thoughts or my guts. I was pushing them aside. When I'm willing to see that and take a look at why I was willing to do that, aka what short-term benefit I was getting, then I can be better at recognizing that same trap in the future. Step six, I rinse and repeat. As with most of the important stuff in life, forgiveness is not a one and done. It's a process. Sometimes a painfully slow process, but worth it. When you feel that resentment start to creep up again, when the negative emotions are taking too much space in your brain, when you find that the other person's presence is robbing you of your experience of your only life, go back to step one and do it all again and again and again. One of the most impactful things that Lee Bauckham ever said to me is that as long as we hold on to the myth that not forgiving is protection, then we're frozen in place. Who do you need to forgive? If you find yourself wanting progress faster than you're getting it, the adjustment that moves the needle for you could be to increase your consistency. Witt and I believe that consistency is the pathway to self-trust and we've seen it improve our clients' lives in such dramatic fashion that we've created an online ecosystem to deliver consistency on demand. Our online ecosystem is called Trust University or Trust You. See what we did there? If you or someone you know might benefit from the ability to actually do what you say you're going to do, then send us an email or head over to steadfastlifecoaching.com and start learning to trust you.